So the big question is this, how do investors like us get access to the ideas, information, and most importantly, the right people that give us the tools and information we need to make informed and educated decisions to have success? That is the question, and this podcast will give us the answers. This is Mark Moss, your host. Let's get this started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Market Disruptors podcast. Today, I'm joined with Alex Sanders from Nuggets News Australia. He's been reporting the news for quite some time, always has really great insights, and so uh, I'm, I'm really happy to have you on the show. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me on, Mark. I'm looking forward to getting into it today. Yeah, so yeah, we've had a couple of good conversations uh, in the past, sharing information back and forth. It's always, uh, always a treat to talk to you. Uh, but just for those that don't uh, know who you are, why don't you give us a little bit of a background of, of kind of how you got into the space and what you're doing currently? Uh, long story short, I was a pharmacist by trade, but I always loved investing. And then I lost a fair bit of money in the GFC when uh, my parents gave me some shares. That was my 21st birthday. So I went down the investing rabbit hole. I wanted to learn about how banks, debt and money works. Became a bit of a libertarian, cypherpunk and red zero hedge. And that's where I found Bitcoin in 2012. And that's obviously a bigger rabbit hole that most people know once you fall down. Uh, and then in 2017, I was able to quit my job and really start doing crypto education, trading, uh, investing full time. And so we've been doing that now for nearly uh, nearly three years across Australia and YouTube and a bit of everything where we try and educate people on everything that's going on in the space. Yeah. And it's been great. You've been uh, giving some really good insights um, into the market. So I appreciate that. So lately there's been quite some news coming out of Australia. And so I wanted to get your take on that. You know, overall Bitcoin, uh, cryptocurrencies is cryptography, right? So it's encryption. And um, that's obviously a, this, this massive trend that we're having. And, and it goes into philosophical debates of privacy and things like that. But in, in regards to cryptography, encryption, um, Australia has taken some pretty tough stances on that. Uh, I think about a year ago, um, forcing companies to build a backdoor. And then today with uh, some unlocking laws, what, what do you see about that? Yeah, so there's a bill called the AA bill, and it's all about having access to encryption and apps. And, and if a government asks you to build a backdoor or hand over some information, the employee has to do that. And the other thing is they can't tell their boss or their company that they've been told they have to do this. They can actually go to jail themselves. So some people are saying, how on earth can you ban encryption and Australia believe that they're above the laws of mathematics and software. So we haven't even seen any like big cases being just, you know, disputed yet about how this is all going to work in the real world, but that's kind of what they're going at along with uh, another bill where you have to hand over all your passwords and pin numbers. There was a gentleman uh, that went, her video went viral of him coming through Sydney airport and they took his laptop and they actually took all the data off it. And he was a software engineer. So he was able to check what they'd done to his laptop, whereas a lot of other people maybe wouldn't have known. So there's a few different laws uh, going on at the moment. Um, and yeah, they're pushing this one as a $50,000 fine up to five years in jail. If you don't hand over all your passwords and all your data, and that's not just in airports anymore, that's anywhere on the street. But as I say, we haven't really seen any cases of this yet, but it's certainly there. Uh, in the law, and that's pretty worrying. It's definitely worrying. Did there was a law I, I thought about a year ago, roughly that was that companies had to start building a backdoor in. Did that go through, or was that just a bill? 
So that that is in in law. But as I said, we it's not that companies don't have to do it immediately. They have to be able to do it if they get issued a, a warrant. I believe that's how it works. So a lot of the tech companies aren't based in Australia. Um, but if you're serving Australian um, you know, individuals, in theory, if they issue a warrant to Facebook, do they have to build this back door? I know we saw um, a few years ago, uh, Apple really pushed back against that. So we're waiting to probably see the first case of this play out. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, the way it seems that it, it normally works is not even uh, the laws aren't really so much where the company's at, but where the customers that company is servicing. So if that company was a US-based company like Apple, for example, or even in a different jurisdiction, because they're servicing Australian customers, potentially they could be liable to that, right? Absolutely. Very similar to what we see with the European customers and those new laws now. Yeah, but how many people are even aware of this stuff uh, or, or care? And I think it's once we had that first big incident of someone losing all their data. And remember, once government has this, where do they store it? And we see all these data breaches all the time. So yes, it's over. It's overarching. Uh, I don't know how government can even think that they're able to do this and enforce this. We haven't really had any bad instances in Australia, but it seems that we're becoming the most heavily policed. Uh, another law or bill was proposed this week where they're installing a number of cameras around cities with AI that look into your car and see what you're doing. And they're talking about this as getting people that are on their phones and catching it. But obviously they're going to collect all this data, watch what people are doing in their cars. Um, we really are becoming heavily surveilled. It's, it's just really scary, isn't it? I mean, uh, what is it they need all that for, right? I think uh, you said you kind of went down the libertarian rabbit hole a little bit and kind of like the basics of that would be like, if I'm not hurting anybody, leave me alone. And um, this is almost like everybody's guilty. We just need to catch them, right? Would you say that? Yeah, and Australia, as I said, doesn't have a lot of problems with terrorism. I think we've had, you know, one incident in the past 10 years. We've got the, you know, we don't have a lot of firearms in our society. We don't have problems with, with that sort of crime. So I just don't know why we need to be so heavily surveilled when we're, you know, peaceful place for 99% of the time. Well, I think we understand why, right? It's, it's always a matter of control, right? So it's a matter of if you can control the information, you can control the people. And I think uh, in today's age, it's even more scary because now through, you know, Facebook and social media and whatnot, they're using like artificial intelligence to even um, show you what they want to show you so that you can develop the way they want you to develop. And then if they're surveilling you, they can see if you're diverting down that path, right? Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, have you seen the documentary? I forget the name now where they are uh, Cambridge Analytica and they spoke about all that sort of thing where you can direct, you know, people towards maybe voting for Brexit or Trump if they otherwise wouldn't have. But we definitely see that. And I, I know uh, last week Facebook bought that company with the uh, mind reading bracelets. Have you seen this yet? No, I haven't seen anything about the mind reading um, but I, I did see in 2016 uh, it came, well, when all that stuff came out about Cambridge Analytica, um, they found out that in 20, since 2016, Facebook had been practicing um, putting different news feeds to different people to see if they could change their moods and stuff like that. So they've been experimenting on us, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And that um, it really is explained well uh, in, in that documentary. And they pick on the people that are on the fence or undecided and the people that have a, a certain mindset already, they only continue to show you that type of information. So then you get 
that echo chamber effect where you're never going to change your mind and, and be set in your way. So, yeah, it's interesting where this is all going. And I think big tech have been maybe called to account a little bit more. Uh, in the US, we see a few more um, you know, trials and a lot of pushback. But uh, in Australia, it seems like they're going the whole hog straight away. Well, I'm wondering, was a, net, was a Netflix special called Secrets of Silicon Valley? Uh, no, no, it wasn't. Um, it'll, it'll come to me, though. Okay. I have that written down as one that I should watch. Someone re- recommended to me. So um, I looked it up, and that's why I was asking. But that's okay. You're right. But, um, you know, so it's interesting to see, uh, obviously, like I said, with cryptocurrency and being cryptography, being encryption, how does the... You know, how, how does this continue to grow, cryptography, encryption, crypto, uh, cryptocurrencies? How does it continue to grow when you have countries like Australia, which I'm sure is not going to be the only one, really cracking down against cryptocurrencies? Uh, what do you think happens with that? Yeah, I mean, another thing that Australia are proposing at the moment uh, is the cash ban over $10,000. And they're talking about bringing that to, down to five or even $2,000. And they want to include cryptocurrencies if crypto becomes you know, a payment system that people are using day to day. So what, does that, what it, does that mean, a cash ban? So they're not going to let you pay someone. If you want to buy a car for that's $2,000 secondhand, you can't pay in cash. They're banning cash payments over a certain threshold. And we believe that this is all part of the, the road to negative interest rates where they don't want people to be able to take cash out of banks sure. slowly, and, slowly and steady. But in, included in that is cryptocurrency and as well as this ban on encryption they're pushing. But despite all of this, it's how, how do you possibly police it? And Andreas talks about this a lot. Once you're in the crypto ecosystem and you have your Bitcoin or your Monero and you've got all your wallets, as long as your stuff isn't attached to exchanges, that's the only really thing that they can police, the on-ramps and off-ramps. So if you can find a job or a way to earn a little bit of cryptocurrency and you know, keep your anonymity online, how do they say, well, I, you know, you're not allowed to pay Mark $2,000 in Bitcoin if he helps you edit a video? There's no way for them to possibly know, you know we've sent that. Except for you're using an encrypted wallet, which they have a backdoor to. So now they're looking inside your wallet and they're seeing your um, deposits and withdrawals. Yeah. And let's say that I set up um, a a Jack's wallet, a a bread wallet, an engine wallet, whatever it is. If I've installed that on my computer and I'm using a VPN, again, how do they possibly know I've done that um, on my own device? I really think if if you have to be savvy, but there's still ways to maintain privacy, even in Australia. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, there's, there's definitely that argument and, and I'm sure in Australia, just like anywhere in the rest of the world, uh, passing a law to make something illegal doesn't stop it by any means. And, and, and we have history that actually shows the opposite, like during the prohibition in the United States, you know, alcohol took off really big. And, and obviously, since the war on drugs has been around since about the 70s, uh, drugs, has only, drugs have only gotten bigger. Um, and so you look at things like, you know, marijuana, which requires you to, you know, plant something and water it and you have to have room and you have to grow it and you have to harvest it and do all these things and and then transport it and there's smells and there's all these issues and it hasn't stopped that they can't even keep it out of a prison uh the most you know arguably the most secure place in the world so uh, how are they going to ban a completely digital encrypted thing right so um it's gonna be really hard i guess yeah, we see uh, like a premium on Bitcoin in places like Korea or China when we have a crackdown. As you say, drugs are banned. And I think Australia has some of the most expensive drugs in the world. You know, the average price of, say, cocaine, I think is you know, $300 here, whereas it's closer to $30, you know, in a lot of other places around the world. And that's because of the premium that it's placed by making something illegal and creating black and gray markets. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just curious, uh, overall, I mean, how, how has this impacted you or what do you think how it's impacted Australia? I mean, are you seeing, do you think this is a negative for people of Australia in a sense where uh, maybe you don't have the jobs there, the companies there, maybe the companies are going to be moving out of the country. I mean, this is going to affect your kids, your grandkids. Oh, we've definitely seen some pushback from the tech companies. And one of the things just zooming out about our economy is that we've become too reliant on the housing market and, you know, the mining boom with China. And we don't have those high paying tech jobs. And we talk to a lot of people in recruiting and they can't convince people to come and work in Australia because of things like the encryption laws. Um, it's pretty expensive to live. So I, I think it's actually all bad for our economy uh, longer term but yeah if you're a tech company with these laws why on earth would you want to start up in australia where you can move over to southeast asia or anywhere else yeah it's always like uh the government's always talking about stimulating the economy and creating jobs and doing these things right but really they can't do any of that only, the only thing they can do is get out of the way or you know take their boot off your neck right um and so with all these policies that are meant to protect and to stimulate, really what they do is just squash and drive away, it seems like. Yeah, I know you've probably spoken about this a lot as well. You know, central banks have these levers of interest rates and you know, money creation, and that's how they stimulate in their minds. But what we're seeing like right now being debated is central banks saying, well, monetary policy is at its limits. And they're going to turn around to governments and say, it was, it's your fault, or you need to do more fiscally and spend more and create jobs. Whereas governments are going to say, hold on, central banks, you've been telling us that you're in control and monetary policy works. Now it's clear that it hasn't and you're going to blame us. And as you say, the real jobs and innovation and growth comes from that free market and entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's uh, actually something we were talking about um, before we went, before we started recording, we went live and we were talking about the price of Bitcoin. Um, and right now, you know, it's down, it's looking like it's going back up. And we were just kind of talking about that real quickly. And I told you how, um, you know, someone, I was talking to someone last night and they're asking me, is it going to go back down? Should I wait? Should I get back in? What's, and they asked me my prediction. And I said, look, I don't, I don't look for that forecast. I said, the forecast I'm looking at is the $17 trillion of negative yielding debt or the Fed injecting money or whatever. So the points that you're bringing up um, and, and you're right, uh, those are the things that are, are driving Bitcoin for sure. I think uh, one thing, you know, I've been studying this for a long time, as, as you have really dove, dove in once the you know, GFC, as you called it, the great financial crash of 2008 really took off. It seemed like as over, you know, 2010, 2012, um, the, the central banks of the world were basically just going all in on QE, QE infinity. Um, and once interest rates hit zero, we thought they would have no leverage left. As you said, they can just lower rates and inject money. But now they've broken through zero. Now they're negative, right? So then like, where's the bottom on that now? It's funny when you start to think about where this goes in the, in the next cycle or the, the, the second or third depression recession that we have, and you think, well, what if rates get to negative 10%? What's happening there is that if you've got a mortgage, 10% of that is actually being eroded or paid off for you each year. And yeah, where does this go? And people kind of get excited when they hear things, stuff like that. Oh, geez, 10% of my mortgage gets paid off a year. But you have to understand that things would be so bad at that time that you probably wouldn't have a job or you know, your, your partner wouldn't have a job and the economy would be exploding. So where does this all go? I think Bitcoin is having this, as you say, whether you want to think about it as a, a life raft with a limited number of seats or you know, property 
we know that it's scarce and what are people going to pay to get a, a little bit of land or a seat on that boat at a time when all fiat money and currencies are just being inflated away to pay off unfunded liabilities, um, trying to base their currency in currency wars. And Bitcoin isn't getting stronger or going up in price. That's not the way to think of it. You just have to think of it that it's becoming more and more scarce relative to everything else that's happening around us. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Now, a lot of people think that um, Bitcoin's not scarce because anybody can just copy it and make their own crypto and there's thousands of cryptocurrencies. So what do you say about that? I think uh, initially the first four, you know, Bitcoin Cash, there was a fairly decent chunk, let's call it 10% of the community that weren't happy with the block size and the debate. So they can go off and do their own thing. It's a free market. It's, it's anti-fragile. Bitcoin becomes stronger. And then next off we saw, you know, Bitcoin Gold, maybe that was 1%. And now we've got Bitcoin, you know, whatever, there's probably 30 or 50 forks out there and they all become smaller and smaller and less relevant. And they can, they can tinker and try different things but yeah, it is just making Bitcoin stronger and stronger. Imagine, you know, the government would say you're not allowed to fork Bitcoin. That would be their response. And then people would maybe want the thing that you're not allowed to have and it makes it a little bit more exclusive. But in this free market, Bitcoin's just powered ahead and ahead. And look at the Bitcoin dominance, you know, in regard to the forks, not just in regard to altcoins where it's absorbing market share as a lot of the other projects people realize are no good, they turn back to Bitcoin. But in terms of its dominance against the other forks, it's just getting stronger and stronger. So yeah, you have as many forks as you want, but um, they don't have the community or network effects. Yeah, it's kind of like um, like if you had a rare piece of art like the Mona Lisa, and you could make as many prints and put it on t-shirts and put it on mugs and make posters for your house and make as many copies as you want, but it doesn't diminish the value of the original. Right? Exactly, that's probably a good way to put it, yeah. Yeah, so you can make all these cryptos that you want, but it's not going to take away from the the original Bitcoin. Um, but but we do have all these different cryptos. We have I don't know twenty five hundred at least. I'm guessing if not more. And I get it that some are ser serving different needs. They're all they're all not trying to be the new monetary base layer. But one of the things that was in the news this week was this uh, new crypto ratings council, and it's kind of like uh, what is it like a kind of a self regulated in industry insiders kind of rating agency what, what are you seeing about that yeah so i think it was coinbase kraken you know a lot of the more reputable exchanges that have been around for a while come together with this rating system of where they think something is on a fully decentralized versus possibly a security and a few of their decisions were interesting a lot of the coins that they've got listed like xrp or maker scored four and four and a half out of five in terms of yes, they are likely securities, which kind of surprises me a bit that they'd admit that they were listing securities um, if, as those exchanges. Something like maker is one of the first uh, DAOs out there is in it is a decentralized autonomous organization and all the token holders have a right to, to help vote and make decisions. So maybe that's where they're thinking that it's more of a security, but it's not, you know, one business or a group of people, it's all of those thousands of token holders. So I'm not really sure why a few things got the ratings they did, but those currencies like Bitcoin and Litecoin that have been around for a while, they didn't have any, you know, pre-mines and they're decentralized. I think that's as safe as you can get in terms of listing. And that's why a lot of the time we see um, even Wall Street and investment funds, they add Bitcoin, Ethereum and Litecoin first off because they're the ones that have been around the longest the most decentralized in terms of the number of nodes um, and the way that they've gone about things. Yeah. But what do you think about this, like in, this industry rating council or whatever, right? Like 
I, I remember a couple of years ago when they started talking about the need for, for regulation. And um, I kind of thought, you know what? Um, the industry does need regulation because there was a lot of bad actors. I just don't think the government is the best person to do the regulating. And I kind of thought about, um, I don't know how it is in Australia, but in the United States, I, I'm guessing it's the same, but we have a really big like um, supplement industry, you know, protein powders and workout potions and things like that. And those in the United States, we have the FDA, which basically regulates all food and stuff. And most of these, these uh, supplements don't, uh, don't fall under the FDA guidelines. So they don't regulate that. And so people were basically putting whatever crap they wanted to put in these things. Right. And it was not good. And so you started to get these like uh, internal company or companies that were like rating agencies. So like this protein powder, they could, if they got the seal from this private company certifying that their products were quality and their operation was quality, then people would be willing to pay more for that. So I kind of thought of it like that, like maybe if, if the crypto industry could regulate itself, you wouldn't need the government to come in. Um, do you think that's kind of what this is or how do you see that? Yeah. So putting my pharmacist hat on in Australia, we have the TGA, which is the Therapeutic Goods Administration. And for, for medicines and things that are sold in pharmacy off the shelves, you've got to be tested for safety and efficacy. For other things, we have to be sure that they're at least safe. So you still have to get tested to make sure there's no you know rat poison in there. So that's kind of the way that those um, products sit as far as as far as I believe now if there's exceptions out there then maybe I'm uh, getting something wrong but at the end of the day people want to know that something's been certified by the people in the know by, by not just random a small private company that could be saying that everything's okay as long as they get paid a bit of you know under the table cash payments like the rating agencies um, at the bond um, markets during the GFC but um, I'd rather see Coinbase and Kraken, people in the know, help to do this than the government go about this themselves. And, the, you know, look at the SEC and the CFTC. Uh, I think they've been behind the eight ball and very slow to move on the whole crypto adoption and, and regulation. But, again, doesn't really matter. If you're in Venezuela or Argentina and someone's telling you that Maker is a rating of four out of five, it's possibly a security, and you're there considering whether or not to use their die stablecoin to, to save your life savings or put fam, uh, food on the table for your family. I think sometimes we just forget how everyone is focused on what's going on in the US or regulation, whereas in a decentralized world or all these other developing nations, you know, no one cares. They're going to download the app and use these things no matter what. Yeah, that's a good point. We definitely, um, we definitely kind of have that, that bias, right, of, of the country that we're in and the problems that we have. I think I, I, think I was just a little bit disappointed where like, um, they weren't like really evaluating the company um, as if as if the company is good. Like, um, do they actually have developers? Are they doing commits to their GitHub? Like, are they actually trying to build something? It was just, are they a security or not? And like, who really cares? Like, who ca who cares if it's a security, right? I think so. I think that's kind of where they missed it. It was kind of like, uh, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Well, if we saw EOS this morning get that fine, twenty-four million out of four billion raised. So even if you are a security, if you're going to get a fine that's like less than one percent of what you raised, who even cares if you are a security anymore? So I'm just not really sure where they're going with all of this. Yeah, that was that was ridiculous, and we see that happen all the time in the banking industry, where you know these these uh, global global banks will do whatever hundreds of billions of dollars of damage, and then just get like a small, tiny little fine. <laughs> yeah, and it's like. I mean, who wouldn't pay 1% to get away with, you know, making $4 billion. So I thought, like you said, with that EOS, uh, 
That was uh, that, that 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 definitely was unsettling. I'm I'm not a fan of the SEC. I'm not a fan of the SEC. Um, going after and fining these companies. I'm kind of like a personal responsibility kind of buyer beware type of guy, where like it should be up to me to like do my due diligence. So I don't really think the SEC should be doing that. However, they are, and since they are, there needs to be some standard and fairness there. And this was completely not right. I'd much rather see the use their energy and resources on stamping out all the scams. And the, you know, we know that EOS isn't a straight up you know scam. Some people don't like it, sure, but in terms of these Ponzi schemes and all the the scams in the ICO world, surely they could be better spent going after those and maybe get getting some of the investors' funds back rather than saying you know oh we think this one possibly was a security and we're going to give them a small fine. Like who cares? What's the outcome now? Yeah, exactly. And, and what kind of precedence does it set, right, for other companies where it's like, oh, if I'm going to get a 1% fine, like, why not then? Let me go, I mean, shoot, if I can go raise 30 million and just pay a $3 million fine, like, maybe I should <laughs> make it make making me rethink my ICO route here all of a sudden. <laughs> Mark coin made another Bitcoin fork. Yeah, exactly. I'll just do a Bitcoin fork and, uh, and offer it as a as an ICO, man, at that point. Why not? Yeah, so I don't know. We'll see what the SEC does. I mean, there's all kinds of rules and, and stuff, regulations that are there that are not uh, that are not good. I mean, not not just that. And then you look at the traditional world, and and it plays into this, right? Because now, as these are going to be rated as securities, then you have traditional securities laws applying, which then also means accredited investor laws. Do they have accredited investor laws down in Australia? Uh, for certain things, yes, but it's a lot more open than in the US. So you can actually invest in some startups here. I know that early on, I wasn't an accredited investor and I was allowed to launch, uh, invest in an IPO back in the day. So it's a little bit more open than in the US, but I think those US laws are just so so crazy. They lead to inequality. It's basically saying that only the rich can invest in startup companies. And once they've grown and they're big and the investors have made money, then the average man on the street can buy them off the rich guy. Yeah. And it's even worse than that. I mean, that so supposedly it's there to protect the little guy, right? But it's almost worse than that because as we've seen recently in just the last few big name IPOs that have come out with like Lyft and whatever is like um, the guys who got in early made a bunch of money. But as soon as it hit public and the public bought it, it dumped hard. And all of a sudden those people rushed and bought it and lost 50% of their money or 70% of their money. So like there was no protection. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just no protection. They actually harmed those people. Yeah. Some of these, some of these IPOs we've seen lately, lifts and Ubers and the valuations. I think it's, it's a symptom of stocks and markets being overvalued at the same time. There's too much money out there. You know, there's lots of money still on the sidelines wanting to chase and then we have this cycle of the hype. It's very similar to ICOs, the amount of advertising that gets done for these companies when they list. And it's just a horrible, you know, I know, was it um, the plant-based uh, burgers that beyond ran me. beyond me that ran from whatever ICO price up nearly a thousand percent and then it dumps hard. Um, the markets are just as wild, but yet we can't get a, a Bitcoin ETF. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the people, uh, I mean, the, the SEC somewhat right where the people aren't really educated and so they, they're like, well, shoot, I see Uber. Uber's growing really fast. I use Uber. I like Uber. Uber seems like a great company. I'll invest into it. But they haven't really actually looked at, there's no profit there. Like, how, am I, how do I get my money back if there's no profit, right? So like, uh, they've been blinded by, as you said, the marketing, um, but they don't see exactly how it works. So I think uh, sometimes maybe 
that protection that you think you're getting is actually kind of working against you because then you let your guard down. I know it's happened to me in my, in my personal life, you know, maybe, uh, in one investment deal, I had this, uh, 96 unit building in Atlanta that I was invested into. And, uh, I was investing with a guy I'd never invested with, but it was, uh, he was referred to me by someone else that I worked with. And because he was referred to me by someone else I worked with, um, I let my guard down. I really didn't vet him or the project as well as I should have. And, uh, it turned out to be a complete nightmare, went into litigation. A couple of years later, I got like 30% of my money back. And, uh, just one example of just, oh, I let my guard down. He was supposedly, he was safe and, and it wasn't. So. Yeah. And that's the same in Australia and real estate. So there's really a lot of less regulation around. And when we had the, the housing bubble, apartments were popping out left, right and center. And now we're finding out that they've got, you know, cladding that's catching on fire. The construction is cracking. Uh, these Chinese investors were, piling everyone's money into the next project and these things are collapsing. It was basically a Ponzi scheme and people were putting down deposits of a hundred thousand for these units because they thought they're going to sell them for a million dollars two years later. And now it's just all collapsed and there's no protection. Yeah. So um, where do you think, uh, have you hear the, you hear the tagline on Twitter that Bitcoin fixes this like a hashtag Bitcoin fixes this. And it seems like yeah. almost no, almost no problem that we hear. We hear like, Oh, well, Bitcoin can fix this. Um, and I, and I think at the end of the day, like almost every problem that we have in society really traces back down to the money. So I think that's why it kind of makes sense. I mean, if you had a sound money again, it fixes more problems than you, than you probably realize. But where do you think, uh, all the other crypto tokens sit in the, in the ecosystem? Yeah, if I'd encourage everyone, if they're only going to watch one video of ours, we did an interview with a doctor um, and we spoke about everything that's wrong in the world of health and nutrition and pharmacy and medicine these days. And it all comes back to money. Now, where these other altcoins sit, uh, some of them have a little bit of a community and a purpose. And Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that interview real quick. So a health, uh, the health system all comes back down to money. That's the interview that you had. So what we found was that my message to people to eat healthy and there's an obesity, diabetes, heart disease epidemic in Australia, just like there is in the U S and it only came about since we had corporations spring up. And again, then all of a sudden food becomes a for-profit industry. It's pretty simple to be healthy, eat what people have eaten for thousands of years. If you're in the wild, you know, you can catch, you can catch animals and eat a bit of meat. It's that's not uh, meat that's been pumped with antibiotics and growth hormones. It's a natural bit of meat that's lived in harmony with nature. Then there's plenty of vegetables out there and there's fruit that you can find that's in season, you know, a few nuts and grains and whatnot. You eat that diet. You know, we don't see animals in the wild running around with heart disease and diabetes and right. obesity. So it's pretty simple. But now you walk into the supermarket, 90% of the shelves are full of things that are uh, processed carbohydrates, sugar, bright packaging, it's all just become this for-profit industry. And this surgeon was a specialist in, in diabetes and he was having to amputate people's limbs because they were to that point where, you know, they've got infections and diabetes is that bad. And then they'd wake up in hospital and get fed ice cream and, you know, orange juice. And he's saying, you've got to stop giving these people sugar. They've got an infection. I've just cut off their leg. And then the cereal companies and the sugar companies came in and fought him and he actually got deregistered for a point and then he won his case and now he's become a bit of a whistleblower. So our message is that, yeah, the whole food and grain industry, supermarkets, it's all this, this big for-profit thing and then you get sick and then the pharmacy is a big for-profit thing now. 
Whereas if people looked after themselves, A, they'd save a lot of money and B, they'd be a lot healthier. And it's an echo chamber because then all the doctors that have come up in the last whatever, how many years have only been taught one thing. And so it's, it's, it, sometimes education is a bad thing, right? If you've been educated with the wrong thing. And so we've kind of seen that echo chamber. I was at a Bitcoin uh, conference a month and then a month ago, a month and a half ago in Dallas. Um, and uh, Safe was there, uh, author of the Bitcoin standard. He was, he was talking and uh, it was all the Bitcoiners, uh, Matt O'Dell and Pierre Richard and Bitstein. And um, anyway, uh, Safe gave a talk and it was, uh, it was fiat money, fiat food. Yeah. yeah. And, ba- and basically the fiat money, which is fake money, which basically creates all this waste, has created fiat food, which is fake food. And in order, you know, uh, sound money gives us this, this long time preference uh, and, and this fiat money, fake money, we all want short term, right? And so that's kind of what the food's done. And so um, they've basically this fiat money's created this fiat food, fake food. And these guys, uh, they're all, they're all carnivores. So they're, mm-hmm. and I had never, I didn't really know much about that. Uh, and they're, they're just like meat eaters. Uh, but they, they talked yeah, about, so, go ahead. So Safe, Safe Dean watched our, our video and I put him in touch with the doctor I interviewed. And when you first hear about carnivory, you think, man, that is crazy. Where do they get their vitamin C from or whatnot? But there's actually a lot of populations out there that only eat meat, um, you know, and only eat fat you know, down in the Arctic and people only eat whale blubber and whatnot. And there's more evidence coming out now. And this is something that I need to research more that the more sugar and carbohydrates you eat, the more your body actually needs vitamin C as one of those um, processes. So there's actually evidence out there that if you eat the whole animal, not just, a, not just a big steak, if you're eating every part of an animal, Nose you can get a, yeah, a lot of vitamins and minerals and eat and live a pretty healthy life. Yeah. And, and I've really been into diet and exercise for the last 30 years and I'm, I've studied a lot of diet. Um, and I'm, I thought I'm, I was pretty tuned into that, but I hadn't really, I wasn't really aware of this all carnivore diet. And, and, uh, over the last, since I've been back, I've been doing quite a bit of research into it and, uh, it's, it's compelling. I mean, I, I recommend everyone just to spend a little bit of time on Google doing their own research into it. And, uh, it's, it's very compelling. I think it's definitely an extreme for most people. I'd love them just to start with more of a, a keto diet and just eat those, you know, vegetables, fruits, eat what we've been eating for thousands of years and cut out everything in a package. Yeah. And that's kind of what the, what I've believed, which is uh, eat anything that's, that's living or was living, right? If it wasn't alive or isn't alive, don't eat it. So plants alive, you know, meat alive. Um, and so I've been kind of like, a, I've tried strict keto before, but mostly like low carb, high fat diet. Um, just try to eat almost no carbs if I can. Um, but so that's why I was completely shocked when he was telling me about this and uh, I'm like, but what about vegetables? Like we need vitamins, right? We need nutrients from vegetables. And he's like, no, you don't like the amount of nutrients we get from vegetables is so minuscule. You have to eat so much of it to make a difference. And you can get, you can get all that in just a little bit of meat. So I'm not doing it uh, yet, but I've been doing my research and it's compelling. It's, it's interesting. It's actually very hard to make the transition. So for someone that's their body is used to consuming a lot of sugar or even carbohydrates, it takes your body oh, a week or more to, to switch over to these keto systems to start breaking down proteins more. So you, that's why people feel terrible when the day they start these crash diets, they've got no energy and whatnot. You've actually got to do it gradually and build up. They call it the keto flu. 
<laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So anyway, that's uh fiat money, fiat food. And, and just, uh, one, one of the things is that, uh, you know, they've, uh, they've, they've tried to use food as an inflation gauge, right? So like, um, the average basket of food was, you know, $20 and today you can still buy a basket of food for $20. The difference was we used to get real food for $20. Today we get fake food for $20. And so, uh, that was, that was one of the points that was made on there as well. Oh yeah. I mean the, the basket of goods that is used to calculate inflation and you can see that your bottle of Coke's gone down from 660 mils to 500. And now they've got these, you know, 275 mil cans, but it still costs $3. And that's what your 660 mil bottle of Coke used to cost. And it's just this shrinkflation effect. And uh, you've, everyone's seen that graphic where you used to get the you know basket of goods and what it's buying you compared to, to Bitcoin over time. Yeah. What about uh, in Australia? What about um, what about health insurance? I I posted the other day that I pay. I have a young family of four, very healthy. Uh, never go to the doctor. We pay eighteen thousand a year in health insurance, and uh, that got a, quite a bit of an uproar. And I saw a lot of people from Australia chiming in about um, how cheap it was there. So up until I got married, like just basic health insurance for me was like thirty dollars a month. And then now we're married and we've got uh, a little one more expensive, maybe a couple of hundred dollars a month, maybe a thousand dollars a year. Yeah. That's good. But we're still seeing more people get rid of it because we're, I think Australia's going into recession. We're seeing people cut out what they view as unnecessary costs. So the amount of people with private health insurance is declining. Oh, is it? Mm. Let's go to public. Oh, well, we've got a pretty decent public system. So it's, it's free. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, interesting stuff. I always like to hear what it's like, get that perspective on other areas of the world. Uh, we've talked to a lot of people from Europe and Russia and China and now Australia. So I love that. So appreciate you taking the time to give us that perspective. Um, it's been awesome. Yeah. So uh, why don't you just tell everybody where they can keep up with you and, and the news that you put out if they want to. Yeah. So Nuggets News, guys. Um, I'm Alex Saunders. I'm pretty active on Twitter. But yeah, Nuggets News on YouTube is where we put out most of our content. Um, and nuggetsnews.com.au for everything else that we do. Yeah, perfect. All right, Alex. Thanks so much for taking the time. We'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Cheers, guys. Hey, if you like this episode of the Market Disruptors podcast, please help us take this to the top of the podcast charts. Just please do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. Taking 15 seconds to just leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us reach more people and disrupt more markets. I really appreciate you listening, and I'll see you next time on the Market Disruptors podcast.